Amen. That's in uh, three weeks. It's going to, I'm going to tell you, we're having it Friday and Saturday night because the Sunday night service has grown so much, there's no way we could get people in. So uh, it's, it's going to be something you don't want to miss. If you are here for the first time, uh, going through these parables, I've asked our drama department to do different genres, styles of the different parables. Some of them have been, we've seen a fairy tale, some has been a Shakespearean play, some of them have been uh, game shows. But as we come to this dark and shadowy parable, they're using a film noir, a dark and shadowy style to represent this parable. Watch this. The hustle and bustle of traffic floated up through the window, reminding me I was never too far from the unwashed masses. That's all right. I make $50 a day plus expenses doing my part to clean up this town. I wasn't looking forward to washing this piece of dirty laundry. Her name was Samantha. It was only the second time I'd seen her, but she'd had her hooks in me and she knew it. Have you found anything? Did my brother do that? I'm so sorry. Tell me what you know. Yeah, I'll spill. But you're not going to like it. I didn't like it much either because she wasn't here for me. It was her brother. He'd been missing for over a week. The lowlife's name was Johnny, a.k.a. the Weasel. Ran a numbers racket. Nah, he'd roll you for a dime and then kick you just for spite. But he got careless. Seems he owed the man who owns this town five million smackers. How he ran up a big tab like that, I'll never know. But when the king wants payment, well, he wants it now. Don't know how he did it, but Johnny sang and danced his way out of the tightest spot of his life. Whatever he said touched the king, and the big man let him off the hook. He was forgiven, free and clear. Me? Well, I would have been so generous. But you can't argue with the king's mercy. I've been on the receiving end once or twice, and it makes you grateful. Or it should. But when did that happen? Five days ago. Then where is he? We haven't seen him since. Like I said, this one won't go down easy. But if you don't mind, I would I'd kind of like to work my way up to it. Johnny's just hanging around the next day, free as a bird, when he runs across Ernie the fish. Hey, Ernie. Where's my money? Hey, Johnny, how you doing? I ain't got that hundred clams I owe you, but I could pay you $10 today and $10. I want my money now. I got it. I swear, but I'm good for it. In my book, you don't kick a man when he's down. But I don't think the weasel ever read that book. What's your beef with Ernie? He owes me a hundred clams. Word on the street, you've been forgiven five million bucks. So what's that compared to your chump change, huh? Hey, I got my rights. If you can't pay me, you can rot in jail till he does. Well, I guess we'll just have to see about that. Are you gonna take me to the coppers? They can't touch me. The law's on my side. That's not the law I'm taking you to. Wait, Dirk, Dirk! Get out of here. No, no, Dirk! I let go of the trash I was holding and spilled the beans to the king about what the weasel did to Ernie the fish. Johnny brought out his old song and dance again, but this time he was playing to deaf ears. Can't say the king was quite as forgiving this time. He demanded everything he was owed. Guess who came up short? 
The king had Johnny thrown into a dark hole where he'll have nothing but his memories to keep him company for the rest of his days. And that's the whole ball of wax. Mercy, forgiveness, judgment all wrapped up into a nice, neat little package. I know it's not good news, but I hope you'll be able to forgive me for doing the right thing. Like I said, this was a night like any other. And that's what really hurts. Amen. Amen. I don't know why every time I see that I want to order a gin and tonic. It's just weird uh, doing that. But a gritty style because of the gritty truth behind this parable. Jesus spends an inordinate amount of time focusing on the few core issues of life, as opposed to you and me. Just reading this last week, of course, any of you are visiting from another state, California's in this drought, and they were pointing out that California, it's not a lack of water, it's a question of distribution. 80% of the water for this state goes to agriculture, it's the number one industry, 80%, so far so good. 40% of the water this state goes to four crops that make up 1% of the income of California. 40% of the water to 1%. And you and I likewise have a propensity to spend an inordinate amount of resources on things that don't really change our life. Think how much time and money and effort and focus we spend on things in our life that really don't change our life that much. How we look what others think about us, some imaginary fear that never materializes. Jesus, on the other hand, points the water of life to the core issues. And there's only a few of them. And one of them is forgiveness. Now, everybody believes in forgiveness to a point. Whether we're sitting here in this sanctuary or downtown at Union, when you step out into those streets, everybody likes to forgive to a point. But Jesus is talking about this extravagant forgiveness of God. And if you and I, if our vertical relationship with God does not pour into the horizontal, it cuts off our relationship with God. And the good news is that find out, first of all, the bad news. The bad news is, is no, none of us in here, none of us in here know how to forgive on our own. The good news is God is just itching to release that forgiveness through us. And three little truths that out of this parable, true forgiveness not the world's way, true forgiveness. It's personal, it's preemptive, and it's permanent. It's personal. If you're not personally hurt, you're not forgiving. And if you don't forgive from your heart, no matter what you behave on the outside, Jesus said it's not forgiveness. Second of all, it's preemptive. You don't wait until they ask to be forgiven. That's what bugs us. It's preemptive. It's not dependent upon the offender, but upon the offended. And finally, it's permanent. No time allotment and no conditions. And as it, the great news is, is exactly as Christ has treated us. And once we learn the freedom of forgiveness, as opposed to this grudge and resentment, once we learn that, our life goes up to a whole new level. We think forgiveness means injustice. Jesus says it's ultimate justice. You got your Bible. Let's turn back and take a look at this. Turn with me over to, to the beginning of the 18th chapter in Matthew, page seven hundred and. 99 in your pew Bible and get a little bit of this context. You know, it's always hard to uh, just pull out scripture without knowing what's going on. 
True forgiveness has got to be personal. Now, I can tell you to forgive people, but when they say mean things about me, that's a whole different story. You know, it's like the pastor was guest preaching, and I know when you go preaching in other places, you get strange response. And he was shaking hands after the service, and this uh, people are going, nice. This one guy goes, that was probably the stupidest sermon I've ever heard. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I didn't even watch the guy. Then he noticed he got back in line again. So he came back by, and he thought maybe he's going to apologize. And he says, I've heard all those jokes before. That's just so childish. And he so going around, and he watched that guy get in line again. And he said to the elder that invited me, he said, he said, oh, don't listen to him. He only repeats whatever he hears people saying after the service. So, you know, it's a. <laughs> Jesus is in a context of saying, what does it mean to belong to the new community? It is now an invasion of the future into the present. When we get ready in a few weeks to start celebrating Advent. It's the story of God coming for unconditional surrender. But there's a new community that he is making all different in the world. And 18th chapter, verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the child whom he put among them and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change metamorphos and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. It's a great question, isn't it? Would you like to ask Jesus, Who do you think is the neatest person that you've ever seen in all the world? Who is the greatest Jesus says, good question. And he brings up a child in the Greek. It's a young child, like kindergarten or first grade, according to us. He said, unless you become like this child, you're never going to make it. Now, he doesn't mean childishness. But what about this child? Well, child, first of all, has utter faith that things will take care of stuff. But a kid doesn't get upset when you tell the children to line up when they're little, not when they're older, and the adults get something because they don't think they deserve it. They're just a kid having a fun time. And Jesus says, unless you break up the humility of a child and the faith of a child, you'll never make it. That is the greatest in my eyes. Not accomplishments, not holiness, not fame, not wealth. That's nothing in the kingdom. This is important in the kingdom. He goes on, he says in verse 6, Woe to you who cause children to stumble. And for those of us, of those of you that are in the entertainment industry, he said it'd be better you have a millstone tied around your neck and you be buried in the depths of the sea than you cause one of these children to stumble. And he wasn't kidding. How do you make a child stumble? You leave him alone and let the world raise him. And he says, I care about these children. And that's why with our children's discipleship, or our student ministries with R.O. and Mindy, or even in the college ministry, being able to help these get on the good side of God. So he's saying, you don't take care of the importance, the movers and shakers, the inner ring. No, 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 no. You take care of the innocent and the widows, the helpless, the children. He says in the parable of the lost sheep, if someone gets lost, we study this, you go get them. Verse 15, if someone sins against you, you don't just say it didn't hurt. In fact, here's how you discipline them. And we in the church stink at church discipline. We either pretend it's all right, just keep living this way, or we throw the baby out with the bathwater, bath you know, like you're late to worship. Stone them! You know, it's, and, and we're just, of course, half this room would be dead. But as we uh, <laughs> go through life, he says, no, you go and confront them alone to not embarrass, and then if they still are sinning, you get a second person, not to beat on them, but to corroborate. Maybe you'd misunderstood. And then if not, you bring the elders, and if they still won't listen, you exile them. 
Not like to cut the cancer out and get rid of it, but so that they will repent in order to restore them. Now in the, on this foundation of it, Jesus says we must confront wrong and sin and evil. Peter steps in. Peter was taught as a good Jewish boy to forgive three times. God would never ask more. And Peter's is going to jack it way high. Look over here in verse 21. So he's heard all this about sinning. Okay, well, all the time. Verse 21. Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church, which really the fellowship ecclesia, my brother, sin against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said, not seven, but 77 or 70 times seven, depending on how you take the Greek there. So Peter says, how, should I do it seven times? What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 77. And you think, great, so at 78 I can generally hammer them? <laughs> and you say, no, 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 no. Here's what you need to understand about justice and making things right in life. So he goes along and he starts to tell this story. Verse 23. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Everything that you have or ever will have, everything that I have from the heart beating right now and the breath I'm breathing, to life itself is a loan from the king. It is borrowed from God. He has loaned it to all of us. It does not belong to us. He wants us to enjoy it, yes. He wants us to invest, yes, to create, to utilize, to build, to do new things. But there is a day of accounting coming, not symbolically, not figuratively, literally. And Jesus is saying, heads up. So it's like a king who invested his money. Now the servant in this story has access to the king's wealth. So it's probably like the cabinet. Verse 24. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife, children, all his possessions, and payment to be made. You look at the bottom of your pew Bible, a talent is roughly 15 years wages. 10,000 talents is bizarrely huge. I loved reading the commentaries this last week. They actually argue over, is it 150 million? Is it a billion? Who cares? It's a boatload of money. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, this guy owes 10,000 talents, which is more than the gross national product of Israel at this time. He owes a lot. How could he owe that much? Because he's invested the king's money for a personal deal. He borrowed the king's money and invested it, and it went bad. Time to find out where his money is, so the king brings him before him. He orders him to be sold. Why would sell? Because until recently, and it's still true in parts of the world, if you owe money, they sell you to debtor's prison. Debtor's prison, they work you all day long like a slave for menial work. Maybe they can get a few bucks out of you until you die. Sell your wife, your kids as slaves uh, to some passing caravan. You're in debt, and you know it. There's no way you're going to pay this. So he says, okay, well, the most I can get out of you is some chump change, but I'm going to get something out of this. Verse 7, so the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience and I will pay you everything. Right. <laughs> 10,000 talents? And the guy falls on his knees and goes, no, give me some time. I'll make it good. I'll get you every nickel back. The king knows there's no way that the slave can pay this back. But he does a weird thing. Verse 27. And out of pity 
Pathios, compassion, we get the word. The Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. This is unbelievable. This guy has lost the king's 10,000 talents. He's begging and he's saying, please, I'll make it right. He's pumping sunshine at the king. The king knows the emperor. There's no way you can do this. But he looks at him and his heart has compassion for him. And the king takes his bill and goes, it's gone. What a day. What a day. <laughs> Everything. He was looking at his whole life of losing his wife, his family, waking up every day until they buried him, doing horrible, menial work and horror and beating. The torturing is to find out why do they torture you, to see if you're hiding money anywhere. And they did this pretty systematically. And instead the king goes, you're free. He's going, shazam, or something like that. What a wonderful day. And on the way out, the same day, he went out coming upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii, which is about a week's wages, about 200 bucks. Seizing him by the authority, he said, pay what you owe. And his fellow slave fell down and pleaded, have patience with me and I will pay you. He didn't even pretend he'll pay it all back. Same exact words, have patience with me. But he refused. And he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. His Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me? Should you have not had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Why is Jesus saying this? Because he knows it goes the grain, against the grain of who we are as sinful creatures. And if we continue to go along in this way, that it will lead to destruction. Now, it's one thing when I forgive you because you've been mean to me or you forgot my birthday or you didn't do that or you, you, know, you backed over you know, my foot or something like that. I had a woman say to me, you know, Mark, I can forgive my father who sexually abused me, but I will never forgive my mother who knew and never said a word. It's interesting that even a transgression is sometimes easier to forgive than an omission just standing by. How do you forgive that? I had somebody who come to, how do you forgive somebody who slandered you and ruined your reputation entirely? How do you forgive somebody who has stolen from you now you are bankrupt? Or someone who has betrayed you and stabbed you in the back cold-heartedly? This is what Jesus is talking about. And it must be personal from the heart. The good news is it can happen. The bad news is we don't want it to happen. And that's why the second thing about forgiveness is it can, has to be not only personal, but it has to be preemptive. The servant was forgiven by the king, not as he started to make it right, but just because the king wanted to. Helmut Thielicke, the German theologian I've been using with some of these parables and some other reading, had a great line in looking at this one. He said, we reject Christ when we practice justice rather than love. Justice does more harm in our life than injustice ever did, unquote. What does he mean by that? He's not talking about society, and he's not talking about accountability even within the body of Christ. But interpersonally, when I want justice more than I want to love you, more harm ends up coming into my life. 
Now, please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that you condone what is wrong. This is not some kind of mushy sentimentality, some kind of spiritual lobotomy where we don't have any standards. And, well, people have needs. They just do what they do. This is the antithesis of that. But this law of retaliation, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, there's a good side because you want justice. There's that inside of you. That's the image of God. But forgiveness is not where you say there won't be justice and it's okay. Forgiveness is where you take it like a hot potato, you give it back into God's hand. Yes, you can forgive even when you tell people, no, stop it. Even when you do arbitration, even at times litigation. That's the formal side of stopping the behavior. But the heart side is where we don't want them to be destroyed. You want to change the behavior, not get rid of the person with the bad behavior. And that is a huge difference. We normally, how we do this, it's reciprocity. That I'll forgive you when you come to me and ask for it. When you've done me wrong, if you come and ask me, then I'll go, maybe, okay, all right, I forgive you. That's the exact opposite of what he's talking about. I forgive you before you've not only asked, I forgive you before you have even are knowing that you've hurt me. It's not about mushiness, don't misunderstand that. It's taking this saying, God, I choose not to strike back. If any of you have uh, been to court, and I have on a couple field trips, but as a, when you stand in front of the judge, there's a two-step process. First of all, there is the verdict, guilty or not guilty. But then later, sometimes at another date, there's the sentencing phase. Jesus said, do not judge lest you be judged. The measure you apply to others will be applied to you. Then he turns and says, don't give what's holy to the dogs, they'll turn and attack you. Don't throw your pearl in front of swine, they'll trample them under feet. Well, that's kind of judgmental, is it? No, it's not. It's concluding. You don't enable somebody. You don't say this behavior is all right. You say stop. But it's not carrying the penalty phase out against them. Now, Jesus is not talking of here again about the group because he just talked about there are consequences for behavior. He's talking about interpersonally not wanting this other person to be forgiven. You have two parts of your memory system we've talked about in your amygdala as well as your hippocampus. One is when I stepped up here, in this shirt, in this stumpy little body, you, your brain went, do I recognize that creature? The next thing, though, you instantly did, you went searching, searching, oh, yeah, it's pastor. Then you had a memory file that says, what do you think or feel about me? Is it good? Is it bad? God gave us this incredible memory system to bundle memories. They're emotional memories. It's very fast, but it's very sloppy. When you see somebody and they have harmed you and wronged you, he's given you enough memory to piece it together. It's the emotional side of saying, I want them burned. I want them gone. God, just cripple them for a week. It's all right, because I'm a loving Christian. Just for a week. <laughs> that Jesus says, no, we have to stop this. Step in. Now, there's a time, as I say, where if you don't care enough to confront, you don't love them. His point being, you need to love more than seek just justice. Now, justice is a part of that. But love is where you say, I, I won't let go of you. I'll hold on to you. You don't have to like these people, and you certainly don't have to interact with them if you're poisoned to each other. But it's letting go of it. God will discipline us if he loves us. I love this country. I believe we're in the beginning of God disciplining. I think we're at the start. If he loves this country, he will discipline us. And discipline us brings us back. If he loves his church, he will discipline his church. 
not angry punishment because he's in a bad mood. That's what I did as a parent. God is different. Discipline is teaching new behaviors or coming alongside. And sometimes that God disciplines us for our own good, we figure it out. I remember reading some years ago a purse snatcher in New York City grabbed some old lady's purse and a cop was right there in a black and white and he went chasing down and grabbed the guy, threw him in the car and said, I am taking you to jail and I am not letting you call your attorney and you are not getting out of jail tonight, no phone calls. And he said, I got my rights. He says, rights? You're going to thank me. You know that old woman whose purse you just snatched? You ever heard of John Gotti? It was his mother, the crime boss. You're going to want to stay in jail tonight, boy. <laughs> and a lot of us, we think that, no, God, I know what I'm doing. We all make mistakes. He's saying, I'm going to discipline because I care about you. What's fun is my daughter and the son-in-law, the other side, both of them in third-year medical school, they're trying to find out in their rounds. They realize, as the doctors are telling them, you can't live someone else's life for them because they're really frustrated because these addicts keep coming back in from the heroin and from the booze or the way people are living or they just won't quit the smoking. And, and the frustration as a young student is you want to say, this is killing you. And of course you tell them that. If you keep this up, you're going to die soon. But you can't live their life. And when they come back in next month, you still treat them again. You cannot live their life. You tell them the truth. You're going to die. But they have to live their life, and that's not up to you to decide. And spiritually, you and I, as we come together and interact and we rub against each other, you can't live my life, and I can't live yours. You do be honest and say, this way is going to lead to a horror. It's going to lead to destruction. But the sin of forgiveness is letting God forgive them through you. Preemptive means that you take, get the upper hand on the situation. When they hurt you, rather than saying, I'm going to get back at that so-and-so, you say, Lord, here's another chance. I can't do it. Would you take it out? And when we say, God, take it, and he tries, we almost get rope burned. We hold on to it so much. And he says, no, I will forgive through you. My father, when he was a World War II in a submarine, and mostly in the South Pacific, when they went up to the north, he talked about, I saw weird things. They couldn't believe it. You would see icebergs going against the current. You'd see them going in the water, and the waves are smashing against them, and they're going against it. The reason why is they're so huge. The water underneath, the big current, is going the exact opposite way that the wind is blowing with the surface current. And it looks like it's going against the current. It's not. A stronger move of water is moving it. And for you and I to leave here and the people that have hurt us to forgive, it's not because we're so heroic, but when you were tied to the Lord, there's a deeper current that allows us to have this kind of freedom. And, and I normally wait to see, because we want people to forgive just this much, not too much. And we get into this game. When we were at, uh, we were staying down at 555 Barrington uh, before we moved into this house over here in the apartment, and the people next to us, I mean, I don't mind parties, but my goodness. They played the music so loud, so long, and, you know, I had, went and told them, you know, I'm a pastor, and i got to get up tomorrow morning, and why don't we cut off the music at 1 or 2, and they're going, sure, dude, you know, about 5 in the morning, you're going, all right. So when they finally crashed at 5.30, uh, I turned on Christian praise music as loud as I could. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, so they, all right, so they cranked theirs up the next time. We saw each other in the hall. We wouldn't look at each other. We just kind of snarled at each other, you know, bless you. Yeah, bless you, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and the Donna, you know, 
Oh, that's right. I'm the pastor. Somebody has to be the spiritual adult here. So it's all right. So I quit doing that and uh, just let the air out of their tires. And so is. <laughs> but we're all waiting, aren't we, for the other person to say, I'm sorry. And it has to be personal, but it's got to be preemptive. You don't have to wait for that. True forgiveness is permanent. It's permanently saying, I choose not to strike back. I want to keep saying that doesn't mean you don't work for justice. It means in your heart you don't want the dark to get darker. You want it to get better. You don't want the poison to get more toxic. You want it to be cleansed. You and I don't have that in ourselves, but God is just waiting to release that in our life if we'll let him. Last verse. Turn with me over to Romans, the 12th chapter. Paul speaks about this. Page 923 in your pew Bible, about the great truth. It's personal and it's preemptive, but man, it is permanent. Verse uh, 14, and uh, we're going to read this together out loud because this is such an important passage. He's talking to the church in the heart of decadent Rome. Jews fighting against Gentiles are just fighting. Let's read 14 through 21 together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is basically saying, forgive your enemies because it messes with their heads. <laughs> what he's saying, this is not passive aggressiveness, though, is that They've done wrong. You do the right thing, but you let God, and God says, never avenge. I will. And if we knew how thorough God is in his judgment, you know how thorough he is in his grace and forgiveness of us? He's every bit as thorough on the other side. And then Jesus is saying, if you knew what is happening to these people, you would weep, you would love them, you would tell them they must change. This is not a game. Someone has to break the cycle. And forgiving is a forgetting. If you say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, you're not forgiving. Now, this is not some faucet. You don't turn it on and off. You don't play holy amnesia. It never hurt. But every time that that thought comes, you take it and you go, here, Lord, help me. Would you forgive them through me because I can't do it? And you teach yourself this. Witherspoon, the only clergy to sign the Constitution, a Presbyterian, one time was walking along and a gentleman who had done him great harm and stole from him and smeared his name with all the other leaders. He was walking with one of his aides and he saw the guy, and he tipped his hat and he said good day and the aide said to him, Reverend Witherspoon, don't you remember what that man said to you? Don't you remember what he did to you? And Witherspoon said, I distinctly remembering, forgetting what he did. His point being is I remember that, but I remember forgetting. And that means I just let it go and I move on. And Jesus says because you did not 
because you would not, you get to a place where you could not, where we can't forget because we're so trapped. I just saw some friends a while ago that Carol and I used to be friends with them, and they got in some fight, now they won't talk to each other. And so we invited them to dinner. And they said, uh, well, if they're going to be there, I'm not going to be there. I said, okay, don't come. We say to God, God, if those people are forgiven, I don't want to be in heaven. He goes, okay, you got one other choice. You don't forgive the way I forgive. You are exiling yourself from me. You don't want to do this. You want to let me continue the process of redeeming. He knows that we can't do this on our own. Remember that great Olympics, I forget which one it was we were talking about it, where he was English when he was running and he pulled his hamstring and he couldn't finish. And he's in the Olympics and he's trying to come along. All of a sudden this crazy guy comes running down from the stands and comes out into the field. Remember that was his dad? And his dad helped him in this pain cross the finish line. We try to forgive in this Olympics of being like Christ, but we fail all the time. That's all right. Just let the Heavenly Father come along and say, I can show you how to do this. And you can't believe what I can do with this. It's remarkable. When you look at this cross, how he forgives. And he forgives the real person, not the image. I think dating in Los Angeles might be one of the most difficult prospects on earth. I had a month ago, uh, somebody has uh, been a started attending our church. He moved to L.A. because somebody told him it was easy to get a date here. <laughs> so I just hugged him and wept and said, go home, go home, just go home. But, um, but what's fun about uh, some of you telling me this online dating is uh, the picture they put on and what they say about themselves, and then you meet them in the restaurant and you go, wow, not even close, not even close. <laughs> when God forgives, he forgives the real me, not who you see, who he sees. And when Christ hung on that cross and shed his blood and said it is finished, it was personal. He forgave me from his heart, not just the bill. And it was preemptive, for God showed his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. It is so permanent. I will never pay. For any of my sin, not a little, not a tiny bit, none. And all God says is, Mark, Bel Air, the way I've done to you, you let me do through you to others. And we're good. Let's pray, shall we? Father, when we come to this kind of grace, that when we see ourselves in the mirror of this parable, and God, it is so hard to forgive the people because they've done such painful things to us. Forgive us, Lord, when we say we won't forgive because we cry out for justice, thinking that somehow that forgiveness negates justice. Lord, you will sort things out. We don't see what those people are going through. We don't know what's going to happen in their lives, Lord. We just know the way that you've showered your blessings upon us. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have buried our sin in the depths of the sea and you will never remember it again. What a celebration. And so, Lord, all we can do is respond in giving to you our lives and our heart, our trust, and to enjoy life, God, in these crazy times. So, Lord, as we come before you with our prayers, our praises, our tithes, and our offerings, bless the gift and the giver alike, that Christ might reign more fully. For his sake we pray. Amen.